0: the reason that all of us are here this morning is because we understand the significance we understand that jesus and christ and christ alone is the only way of salvation we understand that and that's why we we come and we gather here uh this once one day each week to come together um a lot of different things i could talk about right off of that but not going to um So this morning we're going to continue here in our study on the book of Philippians. If you missed last week, um, you missed a sermon mostly in the book of Acts. Now I know what you're thinking, that doesn't make a ton of sense and I'm not going to disagree with you. But last week we saw a lot of how is it that the church, um, that the Philippian church, that the church in Philippi actually came about and we looked at um, briefly uh, the conversion of Lydia of this woman was brought to salvation they're down by the water they couldn't uh, they didn't have a synagogue there weren't enough individuals there to be enough men to have a synagogue so they would meet by the water and they would praise and they would worship their Lord and this is where Paul had traveled to go and to, to speak to people and then we looked at the familiar account of the the Philippian jailer um, I absolutely love this story I know for some of you you love the story the account of the Philippian jailer of the one who was um, prepared to to kill himself with his own sword for fear of being killed. So uh, he understood what was at stake for losing a prisoner. We understand that the earthquake comes, the doors are opened up in the jail, and then uh, as he pulls out his sword to kill himself, you hear um, the words of Paul of saying, Stop, we're all here. And I mentioned briefly that for many of us, our first instinct when doors open, if imprisoned, would not be to sit quietly to finish the closing verse, maybe of our song, and to say, Hey, we're still here. Our first instinct in many, many cases would be absolutely to run away as far as possible. But there, Paul is able to stay, and then the conversation continues, and we see the Philippian jailer and his whole house being saved. And we look a lot, um, these past couple of weeks, if you've been in the Sunday school, we've spent three weeks now, potentially a fourth, discussing the sovereignty of God and God divinely working all things out for his purpose. And we understand that obviously this earthquake came, that Paul was in the right place at the right time, that there wasn't coincidence, this wasn't luck, um, that this jailer is there, that Paul is there, that this earthquake has taken place, and that all that transpired has happened. And again, if you're in Sunday school, this might be a bit of a repeat here. But that's the benefit of being in the Sunday school, I guess. Um, Looking at sovereignty of God and relaying it back to what some of us are familiar with this past weekend. Um, This morning, we're looking at three different things of being uh, joyful and prayerful and thankful. We're looking at these different things. are thankful, joyful, and prayerful in different things. And continuing within the context of this as well as what was in Sunday school, thinking about what was taking place around the high school yesterday. Um, again, for those of you that don't know, and again, I apologize again if you were in Sunday school and already heard this, I'm going to be shorter, was homecoming was last night. Usually, different things are going to happen at homecoming no matter what. Thankfully, I wasn't a chaperone. Brittany was one year. She hated it, okay? Um, I don't want to be a chaperone at those kind of things. You just see too much you don't want to see, right? But there was a report, there was a call into the police that there was a person in the parking lot so around the school that had a gun. So immediately, all of these different things go up. People start to go into action. The school went into lockdown, and it pretty much happened from about around 10 o'clock until about 1:30. Was it 1:30? Two o'clock? Yeah. about 1:30 to two o'clock. Okay. And so immediately, um, you know, Brittany and I are trying to think. Okay, we obviously know people at the school. We know that people are there. What is going on? Obviously, as parents or anybody concerned with someone in the school. Uh, kind of that, that fear and that terror comes over you, especially when, if you were tracking with it, there was very, very little information the entire time. Um, and as a parent, we, you can understand the angst and the anxiety that comes with no information at all. Um, but it was something that as that took place, all of the kids were safe, everybody that was in the school was safe, there was no threat inside of the school, it was outside. But understanding um, what can our response be as the church and as the people of God in dealing with a situation like this and in the conversation that results out of this now we are absolutely thankful to God that nothing no one was injured that people especially students were not harmed in this so we are wildly thankful for that incredibly thankful And so now in light of a time, and I mentioned this in the Sunday school, when people are going to ask questions, right? When an event like this takes place, especially when there is an unknown of what could have happened had this gun, this weapon, this whatever the situation was, been inside of a school as we have seen commonly in our country in the last number of years, what is the church's response? What is the Christian response to the conversations that are going to take place? And I mentioned it this morning, there's going to be a lot of political conversation, a lot about legislation, a lot about all these different things. Um, And I am far less concerned with those things. While we will be involved in those conversations, you guys individually, whatever the case may be, will be involved in that. The bigger situation, rather than the temporal legislation to possibly be fixed or to not be fixed, whatever you believe, is the eternity that is at stake in these situations. For myself and for Brittany, as coaches in the school, how are we going to relay certain information, particularly the truth of God's word, to those students in a way that allows them to respond properly to a potentially horrific situation. In a time where people are going to ask, how is it possible that a person could have a firearm or a gun at school? These are questions people have asked for the last number of years, but now it hits home, right? We all understand what it is like when something actually hits home. It it feels as if it's never going to happen until it actually happens, or it's in our area. And so now as Christians in the community, and it's a very, very small community, right? we've seen both the very good of that as well as the very bad. If something bad happens, everybody knows about it. And if something really good happens, people also tend to know about it. So how does, how does a Christian then go and respond in conversation with people that are struggling and asking themselves these things? What would lead a kid to want to bring a gun to a school? Not even just thinking just within our context, but overall. How do you answer that question as a Christian? You're able to go through, able to explain the truth that God has given. What is the proper response? How then do we have hope in a situation where these things happen in the world? Um, The last number of weeks I've asked the question, why do bad things happen? And we understand bad things happen because man is sinful. We live in a fallen world but there's still hope, right? How discouraging would it be for a kid to come and to ask one of us a question of why is it that something like this could ever happen? We just say, well, because we're wretched and sinful beings. And then we just left the conversation there. What hope does a person apart from Christ have in a situation that is facing them? Of, of, Of students in a school where there is an active shooter, what hope do they have if they do not know who God is? The only hope is this temporal escape from this danger. That is not sufficient for all eternity. And so as a church, as people of God, as Christians, we have a responsibility as well as an incredible opportunity to speak about who God is, to talk about who Christ is, and to embrace the community in a time where there's going to be questions asked. And Christians, those who know the word of God, actually have an answer for it. And it's not going to be laws. It's about the gospel to change the hearts of man. And that's the only thing that is going to do that. Um, no, no I've taken five minutes. We'll, we'll get back into Philippians. But I think it's important that we understand what it is that we can, what role we have to play in communicating the truth of God to people. Um, you know, it's interesting how all of a sudden with the Supreme Court nominations and all of the, the craziness that's been going on, how how quickly the world as and culturally that has no desire for God has this immediately um, just snap of a finger. Now we want a just judge. We want someone who is going to uphold these values and be a, perf- a person of perfect moral character. You know, it's been interesting to me to see how, how this cognitive dissonance happens of, you know, do what you want. Whatever you think is right is right. You know, live how you want to live. And then all of a sudden, oh, we don't like this. Now there's going to be a high moral standard placed upon everything. Is there true justice apart from God? Can anyone be a just judge apart from God? No, it's only him. And as Christians, we get to embrace in these conversations as well. And it's incredibly important. I usually tend to stay away from most of the current events, but I think that's a little important. So now we get back into Philippians. I'm going to give a little bit more of the context so that we have an understanding of where we are, and then we are going to fly through A couple of these verses. But Paul is writing this letter, and if you remember last week, you're going to know the answer to this. And if you're good, if you have an understanding of math and probability, you're also going to be really good at this. Where was Paul when he was writing this letter to the Philippians? Prison, right? Like I said, if you don't know and it's about Paul, where is he? It's either like shipwrecked or in prison. Okay, it's not like sleeping on a bed, at a hotel, anything cozy. He's likely in prison, as I said. This guy was in chains a lot of his time. Now again, it was far different from any kind of assault charge or any other circumstance. He was preaching the gospel, and that is what brought him into chains. But yet along the way, he remained faithful. Him and Timothy are there. They're identifying themselves as servants, of Christ as bondservants or willing servants, ones who are willingly submitting themselves to servitude under their Lord, under their master. Um, the, The slave language that we see biblically is far different than the way that we understand it culturally, especially as an American culture. It is an entirely different understanding of the backdrop of what our history here has been. He identifies himself, not with a bunch of credentials, how does he identify himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, as a willing servant, one who is going to do the will of his master? Because there is no problem with serving a master who is good, with a master who is righteous and who is just. I think we would all long for that, and for many of us, that is the one who we call Lord and master, one who is good and who is all of these different things. And so as we continue, we looked a little bit at the city, and we saw some historical significance of this, and it was a very um, affluent um, city in years past, but now has not reached the point that it was at one time. And then we saw the birth of the church, and this is being written around um, 61 A.D., and Paul is writing to them, and he's uh, he's identifying himself, and again giving a greeting. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we looked at, that greeting is incredibly um, important and always in that order of grace and peace because you'll never have true peace without first understanding grace. So grace be unto you and peace unto you. And we saw there in verse 1, he's writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And we said, saints are not special holier people. Um, as if those are ones that we would pray to. And for many of you, you may have grown up in a background of praying to saints and these different things. And the one that many of us know is, uh, you know, St. Nick, right? Santa Claus and those things. And for fear of getting yelled at by parents, I'm going to move past talking about Santa Claus. We do not pray to anyone but to who? God, right there we go. Okay, perfect. We're all in great shape here saints are not special holier people throughout history who are in an elevated position of power as if we look back to them and we pray to those specific people we pray only to God only to him and so saints are all those who are who have believed upon the gospel who have received salvation so it makes it clear to whom he is writing saints are those who are set apart specifically believers set apart in Christ and then we took a minute to look at that language of what does it mean to be in Christ I said, no one, no other religion, these other systems, they don't talk about being in Muhammad, in Joseph Smith, in fill in the blank, right? You're not placed into them. They're just kind of there and you worship them. But imagine and just sit for a minute on the beauty of that language of being placed at salvation in Christ. This is... This should be a driving force of why it is every Sunday morning we wake up, we go and be a part of this church, and we commune together because we are positionally found in Christ. Now, we can be in church but not be a Christian. We can be in the garage and not be a car. We can be um, on the golf course but certainly not be a golfer. That's speaking for me, okay? Okay. <laughs> That's the most wretched, sinful sport I've ever been around. <laughs> Who gave me a har That was funny. So we see all of these different things, and again, that's a seven-minute context understanding because I think it's important to understand what it is that we're entering into. So now he's writing to these people, he's writing to the church there, writing to believers, And then look at what he says in verse 3. And again, this morning, this is a very, very simple concept, simple understandings, one that personally and corporately we should absolutely be taking to heart. He writes in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. We see there in the outset here of of our text of verses 3 through 5 that he is thanking God upon his remembrance of them. He remembers them. He's had interactions with them in the past. This is not this group of people that he has never met before. But even if he did not know each individual specifically, what did he know about those to whom he is writing? He knows that they too are found in Christ, that they are saints that are part of the church. They are unified under the one faith, the one Lord, the one baptism. All of these things to be true. This is why when a missionary would come and you would have a conversation with any missionary, and some of you love to do so, You just start talking as if you've known each other for a long time. Why? Because there is something you have in common. And it's likely not background. It's likely not favorite sports team, favorite food. But you know that person, too, is a Christian. And how does that thrill your soul of meeting someone you've never met and finding out, oh, wait, they also believe in God? What else are we going to talk about, right? That's going to be a primary part of your conversation, but he remembers them in the past and all it is that he has done for them. And we'll look at that briefly there in verse 5. But he is thankful. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. This understanding of thankfulness is an absolute foundational principle for Christians and for the church to understand. Why do you do what you do? Why, why does a person do anything that they do? Oftentimes, a person does something for their own gain. That is our natural instinct is to consume, to enjoy, and to do something that just is for ourselves. Um, it's been a week, but why do I consume cake? See, I'm always bringing it back to cake, right? Why do I, why am I thankful for cake? Because oh, I enjoy it. Is, yes, Sarah, it is yummy. And all of you that will like pie instead, you're wrong, okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, isn't it? Well. Wow. So thinking about this understanding of thankfulness, why do you do what you do? Humanly speaking, everything that we do our natural instinct is to do things for ourselves, right? That is what creatures do. We do things for ourselves because we want to. We have that desire to do those things. Why does a Christian do what a Christian does? Why do we do anything? The things that we see biblically that we are called to do is that as if this is some heavy burden to be placed upon the shoulders of of the church, the shoulders of the people to say, look, you have to fulfill all of these requirements for there to be any love for you. This is often what we've heard in churches, and many of you have gone through this at some point in your lives, maybe with other family members, maybe even currently still saying, hey, I don't like church, I don't like religion, I don't really like this God thing, because there's things I'm supposed to do, and that's a burden, and it's heavy. We have conversations, and this would drive me nuts as a teenager, because I thought I knew everything at the time, typical teenage stuff. And saying, when my grandmother would encourage me to do different things, simple things, biblical things, I would get irritated and frustrated and say, no, you're just telling me things that I have to do. You're telling me these legalistic things, and you're placing this heavy burden upon me. When quite simply, all I'm being told to do is to love people, to not be selfish, to actually share the gospel with somebody, to actually be a part of the weekly gathering of the church, which we're told not to forsake, because there's something absolutely critical about it. This is not one of those items of just do it because you're supposed to, but it should be an enjoyable thing. We delight in doing the things that God has called us to do. Do you delight in attending church? Do you delight in gathering together as Christians, of having conversations, of being with one another, talking of spiritual things, because how often in your week do you always get that opportunity? I know where some of you work, and I know that that is not a God-honoring uh, work environment for some of you, and that is a, a tension that you have. You say, man, it is difficult in the workplace for me to be encouraged. Many of us work in different situations. I think um, in my workplace it's a lot easier, and it's a very it's very easy. Um, spoiler alert, I work here. So. In case you guys weren't sure. But everything that the Christian does, knowing that they have been eternally redeemed of their sins, that the salvation they have received is complete, it is total, it is absolute, and it is forever, for all eternity. The things that we do is not out of this heavy burden or this yoke that we are struggling to carry. It is simply out of thankfulness. Why would any of us ever share five dollars with another person that is in great need? Because we are thankful for what we have received. Why do any of us ever forgive a person. There is nothing that is self-fulfilling in forgiving a person. Our natural instinct is to do what? But my natural, Our natural instincts, when someone has wronged us, is, oh, I'm going to get even. I'm going I'm to be bitter. I'm going to be angry. They need to know what they did to me. And even at times now, we struggle with this. But the, the Christian forgives because we understand what we have been forgiven of. That's the whole parable of the unforgiving servant. We have been forgiven of something far, far greater than a minor car accident, than getting accidentally smacked in the face by your five-year-old or three-year-old. That's speaking from experience there, right? The insignificant things that we struggle to offer forgiveness for, we have been forgiven of an eternity of, of damnation and of wrath of God Why can't we then forgive? We forgive because we are thankful for what we have received. Why does a Christian get up in the morning or in the afternoons or the evenings to read his Bible, to pray, to know who God is? Because we are thankful for all that he's done and all that he is and for who he is. The things that we do is out of our thankfulness. And so he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So what is he thanking God for? Because he remembers these people. He is thanking God for brothers and sisters that are in Christ. He is thanking God for the encouragement of other people here too. He is thankful that there are other Christians, that there are other believers. Are you thankful that God has given the church? Are you thankful for other people that have also received salvation that you can come to be encouraged by, not just on Sunday or just on a Wednesday evening, throughout the week, the way that it should be. This is not supposed to be we only ever know of each other on a Sunday morning where we have Sunday friends and then we have real friends. Right? There shouldn't, there's no separation here. This is, this is the community that we hold. And he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And then he says in verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy. He is constantly in prayer for these people. Constantly in prayer for them. He is thankful to God for them, as well as always in prayer for them. You know, and I've mentioned it before, but if we were to think about when we pray, what is our attention To, is it prayers for ourselves at all times? Is it always prayers for other people? To what do we pray for? Many, many times we pray for illnesses, right? And and nothing wrong with that. But just praying for the person that is healthy, right? Oftentimes we think, you know, we only pray for those that are sick or for hurting, but man, we can pray for those that are doing really, really well. Because guess what? There may come a time where that's not the case to be encouraged, and again, the person who has a perfect life around them that is perfectly healthy, and this is a conversation Mark and I had, is that as a younger person, when you are in good health, when things are going well, and you kind of have that invincible feeling as a person who is young, are you thankful to God and prayerful about that, or do you think, well, I'm young, I'm supposed to feel this way? You know, because when I was 18, and many of you were like, oh, 18, that's smartest part of your life. And if you are 18, um, enjoy it, I guess. (laughs) But you think about these things. When you were a young person, you do honestly feel like, man, this stuff will never happen to me. I'm, you know, prime of my life. My body works. Everything is good. I don't creak. You know, I barely ever sneeze. And if I do, it's an accident. Everything is perfect in my life. We feel great. And we know, we sit back and we say, but it's supposed to be that way, Right? I'm young, I'm supposed to feel good about it. You know, and I, told, I was explaining to Mark that sometimes that's how we can feel at times. And he said, well, then what do you, and what do, you do then with the children who are sick and are hurting or hurting or a child who was born with these different illnesses of, of children that have cancer at the ages of two, three, four, whatever the case may be. And you were once again reminded that what it is that we deserve none of the good things that we receive. We do not deserve any of those good things, which is why we go back to verse 3 and say, I thank my God for these things. We are thankful because anything that we have received that is good, that is wonderful, that is a blessing, it is simply because of His grace. And here he says, He's always in prayer for them. How important it is that the people of the church pray for one another. When things are going great, praise God for that. Lord, I pray that you will continue to guard and protect the heart of them while things are going well. Because as we saw in many other passages, we can grow very complacent when things are going well. Oh, things are going great, you know. I guess I don't have to read my Bible so much. You know, Maybe I don't need to pray because what do I have to pray for? Things are going really, really well. And then we understand kind of how that plays out a little bit further down the line. Making request with joy. This is where we're starting to see one of the primary themes in the book of Philippians, which is joy. The joy that only those who know Christ can have. If you remember, last week we talked about joy versus happiness, right? Happiness dictated by circumstance. Some of you were happier at this exact time last Sunday than you are today. For a whole number of situations. Maybe some of you don't really like the rain, don't like everything being wet and soggy. Uh, maybe something schedule-wise didn't quite work out. You're just not as happy as you were this time last week, right? That's going to happen. Circumstances are going to change our happiness. Happiness is temporal. It's fleeting. It changes, goes up and down. Um, some of you are probably not happy. I just said you're not as happy as you were this time last week, right? So then what is the difference between happiness and and joy happiness is going to change constantly it's going to go up and down with circumstance it's not going to be consistent but joy is something that even in the midst of circumstances you hold on to and you retain because of why it is there the joy that you have because you are in christ does not leave you though happiness may come and go Some of you have lost people that you love, that you care about, whether it be a spouse, a a son or a daughter, a great friend. Some of us have had different job circumstances that have been positive or negative. Those things have happened, but yet you still have joy. In the midst of something horrific, why do you still have that joy? Because you know what Christ has done. Because you know that your joy is in Him and in Him alone. That circumstance is not pushing you off of your joy Because even though things come, circumstances come, you rest assured in his promise and the redemption that he has given. He's basing it in this joy, and I'm really excited to talk about joy for the next, you know, three and a half, four chapters here. And in the closing verse here, in verse five, and I told you we're gonna move quickly. After always in prayer of mine for you, making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The partners in the gospel here. Look over at Philippians chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16. I mentioned this was a church that at this time was was very poor. They They did not have a lot of things, but yet they were very, very giving. These are people that, though they had little, were very willing to give it. And even at times, they gave far more than they ever should have. And Paul was thankful for this because of the generosity and the genuineness of their sacrifice and their giving. But in Philippians 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. This is the Apostle Paul going and traveling around, seeking to have and needing this support and requiring saying, No other church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, a odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. He had received so freely of their generosity and of their giving, of supporting what it is that he was doing, and he had nothing other than thankfulness for the support. He is thankful because they partnered with him in doing so. And even there, he says, Not because I desired a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Again, of a people who are willing to give, though they, in many of our terms, would have said they would have been wiser to keep, they gave, sacrificially, generously. And for that, Paul is immensely thankful for these things. So there in verse 3, we see, see that he is thankful. And, and logically, you ask the question, what are you thankful for? And to, this morning, are you thankful for that which you have? Uh, the, the culture that we, we live in now is very heavily based upon, yes, you have something, but did you know you could also have this? You can have something more, something bigger, something that is better, and it's going to be wonderful, and all your dreams are going to come true if you just get this better thing. Yeah, you have uh, this car, but did you know about this one? It has buttons and stuff that do things. That's why I'm not a salesman. Although some of you are like, I like that guy. That's okay. Thankfulness rooted... In everything that he did, again, he is thankful for the chains that he was in. He is in bonds, writing letters, or having someone else write it, because, you know, he's in chains. And is saying, I am thankful for this circumstance. He wasn't complaining about being in chains because, hey, I'm in prison, but guess what, so are these other people around me. I'm thankful for the circumstance. I will share Christ with those who are also in chains. He was thankful at all times. And we're seeing the spirit that we too are to have is a spirit of thankfulness for all that God has done. And verse 4 being prayerful about all things. You know, I've mentioned it before that, that churches can come together in prayer meetings and simply get together and pray, right? As if, and there seems, there's always this kind of um, rebuttal at times of, well, if we just get together and pray, have we really done anything as a church or as people? You know, don't we need to do all these other things? And it's like, no, you actually don't. Getting together and just praying is actually a magnificent and wonderful and beautiful thing. Prayer is something. You did something, right? Prayer is not just this um, mythological or this kind of metaphoric understanding. And this things that we do. It is an absolute bedrock um, thing that Christians are to participate in because thinking about what is it that we do, we get to enter to the throne of grace every time that we pray and to make our petitions and requests known to him and to praise him for who he is. Just imagine, the one who has made all the things that we see, we enter into that and to get to pray to him because of our great high priest in Jesus Christ. That's what we get to do when we pray. I mean, I'm not just thinking out loud or talking out loud or quietly. No, there's something going on when we do that. If we could see what goes on in heaven when we pray, I think we would hold an incredible appreciation for it. And he does so with joy, everlasting joy, because he knows what it is that we have been forgiven of. He knows the promises of God, and he knows that they are secure Same yesterday, today, forever. He will never change. His promises will never change. But they will come to pass because he has decreed it to be so. And that brings him nothing but joy because who is it that holds the world? God does. Who is sovereign over all things? God is. God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases and he does all things for his purpose, for his will, and for his own glory. There should be no greater hope, no greater foundation for a Christian to have, which is why we are thankful We are prayerful, and we are joyful in all of these things. And I'm just going to read verse 6, because I really just love verse 6. And many of you have memorized it, and you also love verse 6, and then we'll close. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete that which he has begun. We know many people who start things and never, ever finish it again. Have you done a project at your house? Right? I know it's a sensitive subject. But being confident of this thing, what is it that brings him thanks, brings him joy, brings him this prayerful understanding that knowing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It will be completed. It will be made It will be fully realized. All of these things will come to pass. And we'll look at that a little bit more next week. But rest in the promises of God. Know that he is bringing things to completion. Know that we are to be thankful and joyful for all things in all circumstance. So the circumstance that took place this weekend around the school, all that situation, we can still have joy. We can still be thankful. Obviously we're thankful no one was injured. And now... As Christians being able to bring the message of hope and of joy and of trust and of faith, all that the gospel is, all that we see in the word of God, being able to communicate that to those who are lost and who do not know who Christ is, who have no hope, who have no trust, in the one who is actually worthy of being trusted. How can Christians in the workplace, in the schools, and the homes communicate these things? It's a very simple thing. It's just to open our mouths and speak, right? We tend to overcomplicate it. But be thankful and joyful in all things. And we're going to see that theme played out throughout Philippians. Let's pray.